Welcome to the Teacher Gamer Podcast. I am your host, Zach Reznicek. Join us as we shine light on the passionate work and cutting-edge techniques of the most playful educators on the planet. In our opening episode of the Teacher Gamer Podcast, we wanted to highlight different styles of teacher gaming, and who better than the mighty Jesse Driver. As a fellow gamer and colleague, I knew I could count on him to be wise, humorous, critical, introspective, and original, bringing his own voice of empathy to the conversation. Because let's not forget, this is all about learning. Special shout out to John Schroeder for providing the music for this podcast. Check him out on Bandcamp. Let's welcome Jesse Driver, international school teacher, gamer, and mainstay at Green School Bali. Today he talks with me about his class make play, mini wargaming, picking up cheap materials, middle school hobby and craft time, gateways for games and schools, setting up crypto wallets for kids in 2015, tabletop gaming as a reaction to digital culture, why Warhammer is like Polo, robust character background versus pre-generated characters, homebrewing games for school focus, and learner engagement through games. Let's get into it. Great. So we are currently sitting in Ubud, Bali, Indonesia, where Jesse, should I refer to you as driver? You can call me driver. Most people call me driver. All right. Where driver is a teacher at the green school. It's actually where we met six years ago. That's right. And um, we're here to talk to him about his experience as a teacher gamer. Uh, the idea behind Teacher Gamer is this is someone who combines their passion uh, and their hobbies into what they're doing at school. And that may or may not have directly to do with the subject that they teach, but they have figured out how to integrate their, um, their interests and the things that really motivate them and make them enthusiastic about life and teaching into what they do in the classroom. So, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Zach. So, my history at Green School, I've been there six years, and over that time, I have really brought in more and more gaming, role-playing, and things like that into the classroom. I've developed some unique content, and I've used some commercial content, and it has been really the best stuff. Like when I look back on student engagement, smiles, learning, students exploring their their passions, it all comes from this, basically it's a class called Make Play. And in Make Play, I developed that over time, kind of in the art class realm. And it was it kind of goes back and forth between you can well I mean it's make play you can make a board game and you can play a board game and we also had uh, I have 
a lot of I have a huge miniature collection. Okay, so I'm a I'm a mini war gamer. Now I've played some Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I've played with you as the DM before. I played with some guys in college, but uh, that wasn't really my entry point ever into gaming. I've, I was first involved in Warhammer fantasy battles in college, and so I'm a war mini war gamer at heart. And as a true mini war gamer, I have more miniatures than I could ever possibly paint in a lifetime. And I decided to just kind of include this as part of my art class. And so kind of giving, a, giving kids this free entry point into a, an interesting hobby. And specifically, I had some miniatures that I bought from a game that was, it's really cute, it's chibi style miniatures and the game is called Super Dungeon Explorer and I got this fantastic deal on a guy that was dumping a project that he didn't want to do anymore so it didn't cost me hardly anything and they're super cute so like everybody want like girls like them because they're cute and so we're able and then boys like to play a game this is kind of I know that that's a generalization uh, but what happened was super engagement in like the mini war game hobby over like a span of two or three years and so in make play class some kids are making unique games one of the cool games was flightless birds versus flying birds like they, they, so kids take you know some of the things they're learning in class I teach middle school by the way uh, and so they take what they've been learning in science class, perhaps, or something they're interested in pop culture, and turn it into a, uh, a game. And I try to help them with mechanics and stuff like that during make-play class. But when I started just bringing in some of my collection, having craft time and hobby time, it, it, really, it really changed the way that kids engaged with art class because we all of us we kind of had this meaning to why we're painting something and so we would literally we'd paint the miniatures we would design terrain build terrain uh, make the terrain but then we also got time to play and we would you know the best memories I have are when we are setting it up at the end of class we go and eat lunch as fast as we can, and during lunch break we come back and we start playing these games. And the cool thing about playing games in school is the complete focus on the game. Kids get completely into it, and that's more and more rare these days. Like when I started teaching, a kid would have never asked the question, can I listen to music when we're doing homework? <laughs> like, what? And now, like, kids are so used to having that device or, or so used to being able to just not be into something. Like, okay, I've got math to do. Um, how can I get out of it? Maybe I can listen to some songs. And it's that's such a difficult battle to fight. But with games, you never have to fight that. Like, nobody's like... Hey, can I listen to some music as we uh, play this awesome 
engaging game. That's a great point and a great, actually, that's a great takeaway already. I'm going to call that takeaway one, if not, if we haven't already had some, but that's a really, really good point. And I hadn't thought about it like that. Well, one of the, I remember in a previous conversation between me and you, when we're talking about student engagement, you were saying, like, if not games, then what else? What is it? And there's really not a lot of stuff out there that is more engaging than what can be found on, I mean, TikTok or whatever it is. Like, these things are so captivating to this age level, to get them out of that and to get them 100% out of it is just really, really incredible, I think. <laughs> and, and That's true. That's and one of, the, one of the cool things about this Make Play group, so I ended up with this group of kids that were taking this class, and we started just kind of opening up my classroom during lunch break for Make Play as well. Cause, oh, because Make Play happened in the afternoon right after lunch. Yeah. But we want to get started as soon as we can, sure. right? Of and so these kids that we're hitting the spaghetti as fast as we can and getting in, getting into it. And those are just some of my favorite memories because kids don't have to be there; they want to be there. And there was, uh, it was a mix of boys and girls. The girls started doing artwork around the the game, and so the game. The, the company and games that I play uh, are Kings of War by Mantic, which is a fantasy mass battle game, and then Dead Zone, also by Mantic, which is a small-scale sci-fi skirmish game. So those, those two games have really been my go-to for driving student engagement. Much different than yours of, of D&D, right? And I, I like, I actually really like how we both have this gaming is really important mentality, but there's such a wide variety of stuff out there. And so those games have been fantastic because Mantic creates a product that is very, very accessible. So Dead Zone, for instance, the sci-fi skirmish game, it takes one turn to understand the basic rules. It's a very, very, uh, what do you call it? Shallow learning curve? Not shallow. Quick. Uh, quick learning curve. Yeah. Like you get it by turn two and you can operate completely independently. And one of my proudest moments as a teacher gamer was putting on a dead zone tournament. So I have a huge dead zone collection intentionally. It's somewhat it's a cheaper game on the scale of mini war games. And so, and it was, it was kickstarted maybe five or six years ago. And so some guys did the kickstarter and put it in the closet and never looked at it again. And then a couple of years later, they wanted to get rid of their kickstarter for cheap. And I picked up two of those. And so I have this massive collection and I was able to, use my collection to sponsor the largest dead zone tournament ever held, which was 28 participants. And the reason I was so proud of that educationally was because in that tournament, the participants were from primary school. There was one fifth grader, 
mostly middle school, there was some high school kids, there was parents, and there was teachers. All competing with each other and all having an absolute equal chance on the outcome, right, or the victory. Like, the fifth grader can beat the parent. Right. No problem. <laughs> because it's so, it was, it's so accessible. And, and so I really like those strategy games. And I like that they level the playing field between... I mean, you can't do that with soccer. Can you imagine having a right. like soccer game that involved... I mean, if you did a that... A 10-year-old and a 32-year-old. Yeah, you do that. Yeah. And the, 30, you know, the old guys have to lay off, right? But... If the old guys lay off on strategy war games, the kid is going to destroy you. <laughs> like if the kid gets it. And so that was just so fulfilling for me to have that event and have such a huge variety of participants. And I can't think of any other medium that you could possibly do that with. And so that was, that was very rewarding for me personally. I can attest to that collection. You have quite a collection. I, I love just uh, going over and and looking in your whole. <clears throat> what do you? What would you call your studio there? Do you have a name for it? I think studio is very generous for the term. Uh, I don't know what I would call that. It's. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's, it needs anyway, a, to describe it, it's like it's it's a it's it's a couple meters wide. It's uh, more meters deep. <laughs> It's kind but, of a but lining the walls, you know, is, is all these um, shelves, and, and the shelves are probably, you know, a foot to a foot and a half, uh, what is that, in, I'm going between metric and, and American English uh, measuring, but, you know, there's just, okay, maybe it's better to say there's, I don't know, seven or eight shelves, you know better than I do, but I'm just going to describe it the way I see it. Right. And then there's... There's individual figures that are, you know, the usual 28 millimeter high um, figs that we would we would see in a lot of different role playing games. But then, then there's just like war sets. There's and um, I don't know battalions and and there's there's things there that are from the future. There are things there that are from the past. There are things that are from some other world. And then um, I I also and I've come to you myself many times. Um, for modifications and so when you're I call it a studio because I feel like you know you've got a bunch of tools there that allow you to manipulate and well change figures and make them into and make them to suit and fit uh, different things and I just want to give you a shout out uh, for your skills in that um, you've provided me with not only a set of orcs but also a set of goblins that were perfect <laughs> for my for my um, <clears throat> My campaigns, uh, my Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, and that, and it's like a really unique set, actually, largely because it combined yours, uh, your orcs, and my like, all, all of our different sets into something, um, you know, that nobody has that set of orcs or that set of goblins because it just come from so many different uh, companies. Some of them are yeah. metal, some of them are plastic, some yeah, of them some are, are over thirty-five years old and it, forty it, years old, maybe. Yeah, and some some of them are three D printed, and anyway, so it, it's also this kind of collage art. I, and I, I I think so. There's a couple takeaways from from that, uh, but I want to go back to the the other one that I heard, which was yes, multiple teacher gamers can be at the same school mm. and actually not step on each other's toes because, yeah. as you said, you you'll be teaching something 
uh, or one set of kind of games that are completely different from the set that I'm teaching. Yeah. And I actually think that that's, that's a really fantastic point and takeaway as well. I, I, ran, I ran Dead Zone as an after-school activity well, at, when we worked together, and, and you ran Dungeons & Dragons, and yeah, there are some kids that might be interested in both, but I never felt like we were you know, no. going after the same group of kids or whatever. There's plenty of, the, plenty of interest out there in these kind of games. And, and, and also, um, when we first met and realized that we both liked games, um, it was interesting to see what kind of games you liked and what mm. I liked, and there, there was some crossover. But we did come together, and that I hope inspires other people, um, is that we first came together and did an after-school activity, which was, I think, just called games, or play games or something. It was, out, it was after school, yeah. and all, all we did was show up with some games. Yeah. And then kids could play, and it just became a comfortable place, and everybody wanted to, and it was one of the biggest um, after-school games, I mean, sorry, after-school after electives. And then I think from there, it's kind of like where both of us were known for games, and then we were able to spread out into more complex... Yeah, which, and those were commercial board games. Yeah, those were commercial right. board games, tabletop games, but then that gave us a kind of gateway where we had a lot of kids asking us, you know, or, you know, what are those other games? Because we would be talking about them, yeah. and then that allowed us to move actually into the curriculum with games. And we have a common friend who's also um, been on this podcast, which is... Uh, a character named Noan, uh, and he was also at the school, and I've interviewed the two of you as well uh, in a different uh, interview, but that became a place where uh, he had already been doing some games yeah, when no, you arrived, and yeah. then you guys came together and, and made even more robust games. And these were, what Zach is talking about here is these truly homebrew gaming experiences for kids as part of our thematics curriculum. And so the first one that we made was called Utopia Dystopia. And we had maybe 60 or 75 kids in the middle school at this time, split them into four groups. Each group lives in like this megaplex city. The fluff for that first one was we found a chemical to spray into the atmosphere and it restores nature. So there's no more global warming. All of nature comes back. But if human, it was found out after we sprayed it that it turns humans into zombies. <clears throat> so you can't go outside. So all humanity that remains lives in these glass cities. And so each of our different groups was in a glass city. We had an economy. Uh, this is in the year 2015 that we did this. One of the gamer functions that we wanted was an economy. And we actually bought one Bitcoin for $300 in 2015, set up every student in middle school with a Coinbase account to teach about crypto. And that one Bitcoin, we did microtransactions. So the school paid the $300 for the kids to have this economy within the board game. Okay, well, that's so that means that there's... Sixty thousand, whatever, fifty thousand dollars float. I don't know what Bitcoin's well, at. Well, there were today. sixty kids. It's about a thousand dollars a kid. Right. Well, it in wasn't. Their... It definitely wasn't a thousand dollars a kid because some kids braked in a lot, and yeah. so we really are curious. Like, and a but lot you of those. They, you mean they invested more through their wallet later? No. So w the school bought a Bitcoin 
And one of the intentions of those, uh, one of the intentions of the game was to teach kids how to manage a crypto wallet, mm. which you had to, and you had to do that to do microtransactions in the game. Okay, and it was real money. It was it was a real Bitcoin that did it. Right. But at the time, it cost three hundred dollars. Well, now it's at least thirty thousand dollars, and so the kids that were managing and you know producing within the game and being paid by other students, we have no idea how much some of those kids have today. Oh. Like there, there's probably and some of the kids were used their crypto wallet after, and they'd buy like skins for some right. game like whatever counter strike whatever it is so they spent their they spent their bitcoin that they had i'm certain that other kids completely forgot about it and probably have several thousand dollars sitting in a wallet somewhere and one of the things that i did is it, <laughs> i remember i was like the banker okay so i'm the narrator and the banker and i'm like on the last day my goal was well i'm gonna come up with some fluff reason to just get all the money out of the bank and to the kids, right? So, like, that was, I mean, it's it was, the school paid for it, right. you know, let's let the kid like, it's only whatever, how many dollars, so let's uh, spread it out to all the kids. So, <laughs> whatever I had in the bank went down to zero, and uh, that would have been worth several thousand dollars today. Anyway, that was that was just one of these gamer units that we made, that were just massively engaging to kids. And the funniest student reflection ever came out of that. So we at, at school, we asked kids to write up their final, like, what did you think of the game? We asked them some more specific questions sometimes. But one of the questions was, what was learned? Okay, so we do this whole simulation where we're all living in these cities. There's local economies. You have to rent your apartment. There's jobs. All these interactions that we created and, it, and we're like, what was learned? And one kid writes down this. Not very much, except for how to manage time, money, and resources. There you go. And, and so, there you go. That's the whole, that is the entirety of Teacher Gamer. Because I actually think colleagues, some of my past colleagues, look at a game in a classroom and go, uh, that's... That's not what you're supposed to be doing at school. And you're and not. Driver's what are you doing? His head right now. Yeah. What are you doing? Because yeah. I, I I taught in a private a private school in Egypt, and I remember I brought I did bring in some games to some my advanced history classes, and uh, I just I didn't feel like anybody got it, <laughs> you know, and and so what do they what do they when when somebody would leave that. Um, Egypt, it was a high school or a, a mm-hmm. full school. When they leave there, did they have to do GCSEs or SATs or A-levels? Yeah, or? the kids I taught were on American curriculum and doing ACT or SAT okay. to get yeah. into American college. So there you are. You're te- and then they probably also have um, AP, advanced and placement, yes, history, that's right. and whatnot, yeah. right? So I know that because I grew up as an American. Um, <clears throat> but th- so, so yeah, there you are. You're You're at a school that's... Private school. Private school. Ex- expected to to bring uh, bring kids up to this preparatory level, ready to go off and take these yeah. tests because they're off to college. And yeah, there you are bringing your games. Yeah, 
I mean, that's what makes you, and I, you know, I'm going to call you out for it. I mean, that's what makes you a pioneer. That's what makes, I mean, that's, that's what we are now. We're in, it's more acceptable. Uh, I think it's more acceptable also that people play games. I mean, now most people play games. Most people in the world know what Catan, Settlers of Catan, right. is. That was a big deal, right? That really broke through, like, the Monopoly, yeah. uh, Snakes and Ladders. Sorry. So, yeah, that stuff. What, what, and, what else was there? I don't know, poker? <laughs> Chess? Well, and it gave people a game that is accessible, that has... You like decisions that you've never seen before, like oh, what do I, where do I want to make my house or my settlement, you know, and like, totally, what a fantastic thing Settlers of Catan was, for not only teacher gamer revolution, but yeah, just acceptance in culture. What is it, Big Bang Theory, whatever that show was, like they're they're playing board games, Kickstarter, the amount of games that have come out of that in the last decade. Yeah, it's really, really got... I mean, it's kind of like... It's almost like the the parallel to like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You go back 20 years. Yeah, yeah Iron Man and all those guys are, are there. But it was a very small group of people that was involved in that. Or who knew what... Who had a clue what it was, or right? Or who, who knew the actual story or like could tell the difference between Iron Man and Tony Stark. Right, just any... like. And it was kind of nerdy, and well, I mean, it was very nerdy, and you were kind of in a in a group. For but sure. Now, but now, Marvel Cinematic Universe was so accessible, and everybody loved it's it. Sexy. I mean, and, it's sexy. And and so everybody is a nerd, yeah. basically. You know, everybody knows Iron Man's backstory. Everybody watched. I mean, I think Marvel Cinematic Universe is the most successful franchise of all time. What? How many films? Like, I, 20, I don't want to be wrong. Twenty-two or something yeah, like that. That's a like, lot. And then we have what? We have Black Widow. No. Yeah, is it Black Widow? Is that her name? Is that coming out? I don't know. That well, has a name. It's the the. Oh my gosh! It's the Scarlett Johansson character. Yeah. Scarlet Witch. No, that one's already. That's another one. That's a different thing. But the point being right. that. You, we have this cultural shift from what was just a small, like, outcast group of nerds that right. enjoy this kind of content to now everybody enjoys this kind of content. Yeah. And and games are part of that, like board games, game night, and it's kind of a reaction to digital culture, you know? Like, we don't want to sit there and play whatever it is with our thumbs. We want that tactile experience. We want the face-to-face experience. And I, I always I try to bring that up with kids too. I love I love that face to face interaction on Dead Zone or Kings of War because you have no clue what the outcome is gonna be at the start of the game. Right. And on a video if you're playing a video game, you can hit reset, you die, you respawn, eventually you're gonna figure it out and you're gonna be successful. But there's there's so much that is completely uncertain on a miniature war game that you're forced to skill up. You're right. forced to you're forced to figure out, okay, so we're playing a hundred and fifty point game. I have hundred and fifty points to spend and the last game I had, those guys did not work. So I'm gonna I'm you know I'm gonna go to different parts of my menu, different parts of my army book, pull out some different different strategies. And that's a completely unique thing. Like there's a lot of schools a lot of private schools, a lot of name brand schools that have like, you know, we 
we want kids to be risk takers, decision makers, you know, and they say there's these really grand things, but all every single part of that exists in a game. When you when you are playing a miniature war game, you determine a point level. You have to go in and create a team. You're doing team building. You're doing point. You're doing like what do you call it? Cost benefit analysis. Right. You're doing predictive. What I want to use this for. Pattern recognition. Pattern recognition from your series of games. One of my most, one of my favorite students that engaged in this, he he loved it, but he kept losing. You know, he's like, why why do I keep losing? And that pattern recognition had to kick in for him, and it took a while. Right. And and but it was a, it's it's a really gratifying thing when you when your plan works. You know, if you can put together the plan and you win the and 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 you win the game. Also, by the way, within the game, now you have to adapt to a completely didn't expect that to happen situation. You know, there's always that. And one of the one of the awesome things about Dead Zone and Kings of War and the Mantic games is that they're so well. There's first of all, they're accessible. They're incredibly well balanced, which results in games. Go like it. It feels like I'm winning. Uh oh. Now yeah. I don't. Now I'm definitely not winning. Now I have to scrap it out. Can I come back for the win? And the game can shift. Right. Now I also play Warhammer Forty Thousand, which I've only just recently started, and I don't feel that way when I play that game. I feel like it's kind of like a gunfight in a phone booth. Like so, if you're I'm, if you're behind, yeah, you're early good. on. You're not coming back. Like Monopoly. Yeah. And, and like, I remember, you know, the most recent time I played, I had a new, uh, a new strategy. I had a new model that I was going to bring in, and this model was going to be part of that new strategy. And it got shot off on turn one, and the only time that I touched the model was to take it off of the table because it because the guy shot it off the table in turn one. I never got to use it. And so, one of, like, kids, I mean, if we're talking about, like, feasibility of what's out there for products, some kids are aware of Games Workshop games, like Warhammer 40,000. It has a, a huge following. It has the Black Library, so there's this huge literature component to it which that's engaging like that's how some people find the hobby is through this world that they've built but the actual the actual gameplay I don't think sets kids up for um, learning at least in the way that I like to see learning I think the I think the games workshop model has a lot of you know like now here's the June release, here's the July release, here's the August release, and so it's kind of this constant hype train. And so I've had kids say like, "Hey, why don't we play? Uh, let's play some Warhammer 40,000." And I, I haven't ever, I haven't ever done it. I might, um, but I really like these other games that are more accessible, more balanced, and. They just don't have that, like, 
pay to play aspect, you know, like month month. I don't want I don't want to teach kids to power game. Is right. basically the conclusion of that comment. I don't want to teach kids to power game. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's like um, you know certain games. Cer certain games when you understand the mechanic, or for example, uh, this is. I don't know if this is the perfect example, but I, I've been reading a lot about, um, and there's a lot of information more and more about it, about people who are in, um, uh, what do you call them, re-education facilities or prisons or penitentiaries, okay. playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. They can't get the materials in there, but they can create dice, or they can create, you know, they can, they can, um, put holes in cups and create kind of cylinders that they can turn real fast and then whatever comes up, that's the number. So, okay. Or you can roll a pencil and most, you know, Ticonderoga pencils have six yeah. sides and anyway, you can come up with a way to figure out probability and numbers. You can also use, you know, any old object to be, you know, this is me on the board, this is you, this is distance. There, there's a way to kind of do it. But if you were to say, I want to play War, Warhammer 40,000, in a penitentiary during your, you know, break time, it, it, it's like, um, you know, the difference about uh, between being able to play soccer with a ball versus, you know, you want to play polo. Right. With where a horse. everybody needs horses <laughs> and you need to, yeah. Uh, you know, yes, I, I yeah. kind of wonder, again, I don't know if this is the perfect analogy, but I wonder if it's, because uh, I do, I look at, I mean, I've been into many Warhammer shops, Games Workshop shops been aware of it for years. I actually really appreciate the um, Warhammer role-playing game. Yeah. Uh, what I really like about that is the the very, um, how do you say that, very tight magic system. First of all, anybody who knows magic is, is sus or suspect mm -hmm. and, and, um, and it's dangerous to be a magic user. And then furthermore, you know, spells are, like your, your ability to use magic is, is um, very incremental. Mm. Where in Dungeons and Dragons it can be it can be the same, but generally speaking, people have a lot more access to to power and magic at at, at faster or larger increments. Um, I have a I have a question for you actually. I just want can I yeah. should I should we go wait? go ahead and finish up? And I have yeah, so I just want to finish up and say that you know um, for as Warhammer Forty Thousand to me is not a role playing game, um, except as the role playing game, it is much more. Like a tactical war game, it's a tabletop battalion war game that I would kind of think of. Uh, yeah, and, and and for that reason, I I've struggled to figure out how that can be a full. And I think that this is what you're saying, or I'm resonating with the idea that it's harder for me to find a lot of, of ways to use it as a learning tool. Yeah, um, and as you say, it's just kind of. It's like the, you know, polo, ski, golf. It's it's a it's a high it's a high cost. It's a high startup cost. Yeah. It's a high it's a steep learning curve, and it's always changing. Like month by month, there's FAQ releases and stuff. So it's really difficult for a learner to, you know, like 
find solid ground there and keep up, yeah. yeah. And so that's another reason I like Mantic. They do update the game, but it's once a year, and when they do that, it spreads out through the entire game to all factions at the same time. Does it make things obsolete, or it keeps... It doesn't, it don't, no, it does not. And what it, and it usually adds different scenarios, uh, some different, different characters, or whatever. And so it's, um, it's really quite good for what I'm looking for. And so I guess if you're if you're out there and you're a teacher gamer, uh, take a look at those like Dead Zone, King, Kings of War is a, if you have a huge <laughs> if you have a huge stash of twenty year old miniatures, fantasy miniatures, then you can kind of muster these Kings of War armies. Um, but could you use could you use Lego miniatures? Could you use totally like King, Kings of War is they produce their own Mantic produces miniatures for the game. They publish the rule book. It is technically model neutral, so you can bring in like old army old, green army dudes. You you could yeah you could and it, uh, Kings of War is a fantasy game. It is it it's a it's multi based. So the old Warhammer fantasy stuff was single model. So it was also just a, it was a very very difficult to keep your collection organized and to transport it because. Every single elf is on its own base, but in King's War, it's multi-based, and so it's on a big, like, 200 centimeter by 80 centimeter rectangle, and and you can make these creative panoramic displays within with within that footprint. So whatever you can put anything on that footprint. Hmm. So you're really just playing with the footprint, and and that's that's why I I use some. Super Dungeon Explorer, cute chibi models to mm -hmm. make Kings of War armies. I've used old Games Workshop stuff that I had from a long time ago, and I've bought quite a few Mantic models as well uh, because I do want to support that company because I think they make such a cool thing and such a. It's just been the absolute best to get that into the classroom. Nice. I don't think I, I. There's no way I could have done it with. You know, Games Workshop Warhammer right. forty thousand or whatever, because of um, just because of the complexity of the of right. the rule set. Also, I think they're pretty heavy nerds. Like I, I my older son and uh, his friends, and uh, were were getting into it. Yeah. But I remember even trying to have a conversation with them. It's it's like, I mean, it's akin to walking into uh, you know a certain record store, and if you don't know that genre. You know, people yeah. will will you know make fun of you. I mean, I have to say that if you don't know your Warhammer speak, it's a little. It can be a little bit. Um, what's that? Off-putting is one way to say it, but it's a little bit more intimidating. You know, it's like if if you don't know if you don't know this thing, um, a little bit like Magic: The Gathering for me too. It's like some some people are really giving and generous yep. with the way that they bring you into a game and then other people just the question like oh you don't know that and oh you've never heard of that and, and you know so, sometimes I, I've seen like bringing a new person in and then dunking on them right right for the for sure you know, like just playing as hard like some people can't turn off the power gamer mode right. and with with mantic games it's really not that it's really not possible to turn that mode on because it is in my opinion a very well balanced game 
both Dead Zone and Kings of War. My question for you mm. was, and I saw this on a uh, uh, forum or something the other day. Somebody compared, like, they said, basically they were claiming that Dungeons and Dragons was suffering from rules bloat. Too many rules. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and you're way more into Dungeons and Dragons than I am. Do you, and do you feel that, I mean, because when you, that's one of the, one of the barriers to entry in 40K, especially for a middle school kid, is that, man, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of stuff out there to, to, to try to soak in before you have the ability to play the game. Do you feel that D&D is at that? I mean, the person in the comment thing, they, they basically felt that D&D was overbloated with rules. So, I, I, it's a great question, and, um, and I'm going to take a crack at it. Yeah. Uh, I think that everybody has their opinions I'm sure, about right. it. Um, D&D, I mean, to put it bluntly, it has three basic books. It's got your player's handbook, yep. your dungeon master guide, and your monster manual. These are, no matter what edition, these are, these are the, the core things. And when, at the very beginning in the first edition, those were pamphlets... I don't know, 42 page pamphlets. Now they're all 300 page books. They're very dense. Um, and so there are a lot of rules. However, when you're playing an actual full role playing game, you are actually creating a simulator. Um, and if you're creating a simulator, you have to take into account the entire world that you're building. So whether, what it, it wouldn't matter what RPG it is. Um, it wouldn't matter if it's Dead, Deadlands, Twilight 2000, Gamma World, Star Wars, Star Trek, D&D, what, whatever, whatever it is that, Savage Worlds, whatever it is that you're, that you're playing, um, you have to give people a sense of where they are. And I think it's silly and so I don't know, you know who was discussing this, but I think it's silly and, and funny uh, when people want to say, okay, we'll get you up and running playing Dungeons and Dragons in 20 minutes or even an hour because all you're going to have is a standee. You're going to have a cardboard cutout. Um, you know, I'm a human warrior with a spear and a shield and a loincloth. And, you know, and... Over here we have the wizard, and she's an elf, uh, and she has pointy ears. Um, We can all, we could try to play Dungeons and Dragons and say, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings world, and it's kind of like Excalibur world, and we we can use a whole bunch of tropes and references that would kind of give us an idea of what it might look like. I'm at the total other end of the spectrum, which says, look, it's a complicated game. We're trying to make a simulation. And actually, let's spend 10 hours building a single character. And that, um, when I started doing some interviews last year, um, that was actually a major point. And I kind of feel really proud of it because the idea is, yeah, especially as a teacher, I need things to do in my classroom, um, and I want to engage my students as much as I can, and I want 
kids to be engaged. And I also want when they come into the game to feel like they're really playing a unique character. Yeah. And at the same time, I want them to feel comfortable in the place that they're playing and excited about the place that they're going to play in. So as we're building the characters, they're learning more and more about the world because of just the different things that they get to select and choose from. So then, oh, these are the type of, you know, these are the, the races that are there or the species, you know, inside of this world. These are the kind of professions, crafts, skills, performance abilities. These, this is the kind of knowledge or lore. These are the classes, meaning, you know, these are the kind of types of heroes that you can play. And so instead of just either giving something to somebody and saying, adapt to this, you know, one page story about who you are and go. Yeah. It's like, no, write your 10 page story and let me give you different ways of looking at it. I mean, I do visualizations where everybody closes their eyes and we kind of use the idea of like a drone kind of going up and looking down at your character when they were 10 years old. Where were you? Where are yeah. you? And just letting them go, oh, uh, I'm in an Arctic setting. And I'm like, great, you know, write that down. And yeah. you know, what are you doing there? Well, it's a village and it's on the edge of a cliff. And I see my, my dad, he's kind of making arrows. And I see my mom and she's cooking, but she's not cooking food. No, she's got all these herbs hanging, you know, in this thing. And I'm like, just write it down. Yeah. It's all gravy. Like this is all amazing stuff that's all coming from your own mind. So what ends up happening to answer your question is I bring kids and adults and whomever through the world building and they get to know the rules as they build their characters so that when we actually go in world or in game, yeah. they're already really familiar with the probability that we're dealing with. I mean, just when you build something like saving throws, and I usually use that door right there. We're in my house right now, by the way. Uh, so when somebody comes over to do a workshop here, I, I say, okay, there's a door there. And imagine that somebody's trying to break down the door. So I'm trying to hold the door from it being open and the person's trying to, you know, bang it down. Now let's say they do bang it down and they slam me into the wall. Do I get knocked out and fall down and collapse on the floor or do I take it, right? So that's my fortitude yeah. and I will roll against my fortitude. On a good day, I've rolled well and I withstand it and now I can still do something. On a bad day or on a bad roll, I crumple in the corner and you know, the wind's knocked out of me, right? Or the other thing is the door goes slamming open and I, you know, do I get out of the way? Reflex save. And I either do or I get my foot caught or, or whatever, you know, and then they come through and they cast a spell or they try to trick me or they try to do something and this becomes my, my willpower, my will save. And on a yeah. good day, I do. So, well, I've been, I've, I've been, I've designed a character based on your instructions before, right? I was part of one of your adult groups and it really, I really, it actually inspired me to bring character development into my math class of all things uh, later. But yeah, I really, I really do like how you spend that frontal time on loading up the universe, the universe, the characters, and so on. Now, as a counterpoint to that, mm -hmm. I have had. I guess I have two comments here. One, I've also had super engagement with pre-generated characters on simple games. Sure. You know what I mean? Like totally. And and the second comment is 
different people look for different things in their games. So the person who's making that comment about D&D is suffering from rules bloat, well, he might need a different game, right? He, like maybe he's trying, he's trying to find systems. He's trying to find, you know, ways that he can uh, understand the entire entirety of a game and then learn and operate within that system. Well, you can do that with Dead Zone and Kings of War. The book is super brief, and you can learn it quickly. But so you get different people looking for different things in games, and you get that awesome, deep engagement that you're really good at generating. <clears throat> but then I've also seen uh, kids just take on a pre-made character hmm. and like the heavy lifting of character development is done. I can just read about it. Oh, she's uh, an orphan. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then they just go, they go on that too. So I've, I've seen that and, and specifically through two games. Star Saga. Again, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, again, yeah. again, Star Saga from published <clears throat> by Mantic. Star Saga is a fantasy dungeon crawl, basically. And you just get a pre-generated character on a small card. You look at the card, you have your ranged attack, you have your melee attack, you have some special abilities, doesn't take very long to do it. And some kids, you can just dive, you can dive right into the playing. And that's what some kids are there for. Some kids are there for the narrative experience. What's interesting is that me and Zach actually teach some of the same kids, uh, even though we haven't worked together for what, for something like four or five years, but then you get, but we, the after school groups that you do, some of those kids are who I teach during the day. And some of the kids I'm trying to, I'm like, hey, let's play a, you know, Star Saga. And there's kids that's like, mm, I prefer to do my own character development. That's <laughs> like awesome. Yeah. And so I, I feel like, I just really like how you can deep dive into your thing. I can use these commercial games and get different kids to respond in different ways. And I just think that just shows how diverse teacher gaming can be, totally. how diverse it is. And it's not just Dungeons and Dragons, which is the only, like, people come into my room like, oh, you guys must be playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it's like, well, no. how much effort do I want to put into explaining what this is? <laughs> uh, it's not. But that's not a bad thing. Uh, this is, you know, and mine, mine's a little more mechanical. It's a little more you can you can you can kind of skill up and power game hard if you want to, uh, on or you can try at least, and you can spam stuff. You know, like that. That's funny when kids figure out something that works. They're like, okay, I'm bringing all of that. I'm right. just going to spam all of that, and in a mini war game. Uh, that can be successful sometimes, and I just I just like that I just like that there's so much content out there, and it res some stuff resonates with if it resonates with you if you're a teacher and something resonates bring it into the classroom give it a try because it's going to resonate with somebody yeah. that's sitting in that classroom. So you've been talking about games by Mantic. Yes, Mantic Games. Mantic yep. Games and. Um, and then Star Saga is is one. What's really interesting to me, and um, and again, it's a point of interest, is that 
And and to also circle back on this comment about you know how rules bloated D and D is, um, I I think it's the same when you come to any simulator because you're going to have to deal with the whole world. Plus, there there is the role playing aspect, which is although although combat tends to exist in almost all role playing games. Mm. Um, something like Dungeons and Dragons, I will have full sessions where there isn't any combat. Right. Yeah. There's puzzles. There's conversations. There are a lot of situations where psychologically, the players will have to figure out what to do with the situation with non-player characters, the NPCs, and um, I feel like. Uh, you know, the, the tool that I'm ultimately trying to use with RPGs specifically beyond tabletop games or beyond war games is to address um, as realistically as possible, even though we're in a fantasy setting, uh, some of the psychological conundrums, uh, paradoxes, struggles, conflicts, webs of interest, uh, and and getting kids or players, I think in general, and that kind of comes back to the beginning of our conversation, what engages us, you know, is at least I'm from my own personal place and my point of personal development, what was engaging me was that the fantasy role-playing game, um, even though it, it, it doesn't look like my life, if the dungeon master is doing a really good job and has got me very interested in the plot, yeah, then it does somehow metaphorically reflect my life. Yeah, this is a this is a massive advantage that Dungeons and Dragons has over or role playing has over miniature war games. And I have had a parent, one parent in all my time, come to me and say. Um, I guess it's okay if my kid joins your after-school club, but I don't agree with conflict as a method of, or I don't agree with violence as a method of conflict resolution. Yeah. Okay, well that's fair enough. Fair, fair I fair. thought she might pull the kid out, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. And the the point, I mean, there now we're it, it's way beyond teacher gamer. It's teach it's gamer therapist, mm -hmm. right? Like that's that that exists, and. That is, that is really really cool, and it's very difficult for me to figure out how. Like I don't think I could pull it out of a game of Dead Zone. Hmm. You know, it's more just resource management, and actually, in like the thing I kind of go for is the one hundred percent engagement because it's entertaining, it's fun, but I have to be adapting to the changing situation, I have to make a plan. That's the kind of stuff that resonates with me. Hmm. And I actually, I, I really have a lot of respect for the people who draw those those big life lessons out of D&D. &D. Um, you know, like bringing in the wheelchair character. Hmm. Fantastic. Bringing in gender concepts. Terrific. Not ever, like, for me, I as the teacher gamer, I'm not able to go there. So I'm super, like, I just don't know how to, I don't, I guess I feel like I'm not 
equipped to do that. And that if I'm doing the, if I'm going into some of those topics, it's not going to be through gaming. Hmm. But good for you guys that can do that. That's that's also how I feel. Like that's super super awesome that that's even possible. Hmm. And I and I know, I guess I I do like. I kind of come back to Mr. Rogers, the land of make believe. You know, he would he would bring up really relevant, serious topics for kids like divorce. But he would do it with like a hippo, you know, like oh, if the hippo family is getting divorced. Right. So like when you can remove it one step mm-hmm. and you put it into fantasy, you put it into the imagination. Mister Rogers is a, a, a genius for paving that road, mm. and fantasy gaming or teacher gamers can pick up on that and bring those super relevant issues into the kids you know that are making their worldviews now they're making these decisions in game or whatever but they're going through these emotions they're going through these feelings in a setting that's not intimidating yeah and so i really see a lot of parallel between like the mr rogers land of make believe where he intentionally made that to handle complex issues well yeah you can do that with your plot you can do that with your uh with your role playing now, for me, I'm usually just breaking open the game, you know, and, and I'm not, I mean, you put, you put prep, you do a lot of prep, right? Although I do, although I do play multiple campaigns, I just finished, I think, like the eighth time of doing, you know, a uh, 120-hour campaign. Yeah, so you can repeat your prep. Yeah, and yeah. in fact, I had one in the morning and one in the afternoon, and the kids would go to school, they'd go to green school, some yeah. of them are in both classes, and they'd compare, like, so wait, where are you and what's going on? But in the parallel world, I would, I would change the yeah. riddle or I would change the thing. And, um, but yeah, they're, they're, and there's always prep and there's always changing it. Um, but yeah, for a role-playing game, there's just a ton of prep. And, and this is a side thing because I really want to... There's two things I'd love for you to entertain me on. One is to say that, yeah, um, there's a ton of prep, but as you can do with a tabletop game or an RPG, you can give a lot of that work to the kids. I mm. mean, work. It's a pleasurable work. You know, what I'll do at the beginning of a session is I'll give them a piece of paper that says, you know, describe a ring, a gold ring with some amethyst in it and use the six senses uh, and then same thing you know I'll, I'll give another one to uh, you know describe a sunset so I'll give all the kids different things to, and then when those things come up in the game that day or if we don't get to it that day I just keep them I bank them mm-hmm. but I actually keep them in a folder and sometimes I the same ones I'll use the, them from the past but a lot of times I, I, I have them co-build the world with me yeah and um, I can omit what they what they write um, or or I can give them more direction to what I want yeah um, but also just uh, the other thing I wanted to, to share was so Saturday coming in a couple days is our last day it's mostly an obstacle course it's a sort of a ceremony um, it's June so they've, they've done again 120 hours or so campaign which they finished last week one one team most of the players most of the characters died <laughs> they were actually yeah. uh, killed um, and 
uh, in the other one, they succeeded. And in the one that succeeded, <clears throat> actually, they, they both ended up coming back to the original um, tavern of the original place to sure. which they were supposed to bring, you know, uh, and it, 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 it's totally borrowed from the, the hero's journey. Yeah. You bring the elixir back. Right, you, you go back home and you're the hero and all that. But because I've had these players with me, these, these player learners, so to speak, and they've trusted me and they've been in the game and they've done all these things, I also take the opportunity to really uh, shock them with the role-playing social aspect. So when they arrive back and they're coming in to this valley, which has been blighted and yeah. has been... Um, uh, nothing grows there and there's barn doors, they're swinging back and forth, the curtains are down, um, everybody's abandoned the place, they're finding carcasses uh, of cows and, and, and sheep and I mean everything is much worse than when they left. Yeah. It was going badly. There was some shriveled sh fruit on the trees. Now the trees are just kind of a skeleton of what they used to be. Right. Um, and they get back to the tavern and there's a guy wandering around outside and I play that guy. Mm -hmm. And I have something in my arms and I, and I come to them and I, and I stand up and I, you know, I go away from the table and, and, and then I put this really sad, and I've actually kind of produced tears that were real as a dramatic moment of, of being like, and, and confronting them like, where have you been? Yeah. And look at you. Your backpacks are fat. You're all muscular. You know, you're fully muscled out. You're just dripping with treasure. And, and us, I mean, look around you. Like that's my that's my cousin. That's his dead body right there. And, and you know, and and then I describe. You know, this guy's scrawny. He's 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 barely a skeleton. And and I just confront them. And, and the look on the players' faces yeah. are like, whoa. Because they think this is the last, you know, right. we've done it, we've come back, it's so awesome. And I confront them and I, and I, you know, how dare you? You know, really, like, I'm just, like, looking, I, like, walk around the table and look at them each in the face. Like, yeah. how dare you? Like, who, who, who are you? And like, where were you? Why, how, why did you take so long? Who do you, you know? Yeah. And, and you have the, the gall to show up here, you know? <laughs> and, and they're literally, oh, oh, you know, and then what I do is I say, yeah, the guy takes a swing at you. You yeah, know? and then you know some, I've had actual players where they're like you know well, I block and attack him you yeah know? I swing back and other people are like grabbing you know like no I grab his arm and you know like I, I take the hit I mean these guys have like 48 hit points and there's nothing this guy with his little stick is yeah. going to do and then what rolls out of his arm is the corpse of a baby oh god you know and I, I mean really bring it home yeah like, dude you, you guys and you know, it, it took them in game time, it took them four or five, six months, and it was it their fault. But this kind of comes into you know, are things your fault? Where is the fault? And if somebody confronts you and yells at you, you know, how do you take that? And we kind of we really process that. Ultimately, they get through the guy, they get to another guy, they save the village, they recuperate everything, everything's fine. But you know, with all the trust that they give me, there's a dramatic element to go in on them and go, guys, you know, the, things. This isn't just about, you know, dungeon crawling and taking treasure. And this is this yeah. is about this is about responsibility and, and what well, it means. And you're really 
you're 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 tapping into stuff that's been around for a very long time, and in our in our modern, if you think about, you know, the Native American storyteller guy, like the old guy surrounded by kids telling the mythology, or the story, not myth, they wouldn't call it mythology, but the history. The, the history of the of the clan, right, and and. And, the, and that's an emotional journey for those uh, kids to go through. I taught at a native when I taught in America. It was at a Native American school, and and there was actually like the Native American culture class. And so there was very very specific intention to promote the values of the clan mm. at that school. And where where is that in regular? Like, well, regular, like our life. Where is that in a, a, a school setting? Like, are we really challenging kids on their values and their mm. and their reactions? You know, and or the answer to that, in my experience, is no, we're not. And if you get into teacher gamer, and especially like the stuff that you're doing, Zach. You are the story. You're the storyteller. You're the you know the the teacher gamer can be the the person who puts these values issues right up in the face of the kid. That's super awesome. Like that's that's something that is 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 very rare. And where else are you going to do that? There, there might, there are other ways to approach kids and get them to consider their values, but what a what an awesome, unique way to do it. Uh, it's a way that is safe when yeah. you're in the fantasy uh, version. Right. That's a crucial thing for these kids. I mean, these guys who are going into, you know, special education rooms and getting reactions from the kids that their parents have never seen. You know that happens with role playing. Therapy can happen in the role playing space, and just really confronting your own values as the player can also happen. And that's so that's so cool. And it's really it's honestly it's not where I'm at at all. Like I'm not intentionally going there. Mm. I have, uh, but I have a huge amount of respect for those who do. I think it's really really important and really cool. And maybe at most what I can do is I feel like I'm, I try to appeal to the broadest audience possible with these, you know, some of these commercial games that are super easy to pick up. And it's kind of like, um, you know, somebody who never looked at the Marvel Universe until the movies came out. Right. Right. And so now we've got, and so maybe, uh, you know, maybe in the future they'll go towards what you're the kind of stuff that you're doing or maybe not it doesn't matter but uh, I just think it's awesome that we can engage kids in this way that there's so many ways to engage these kids arts like from arts and from arts and crafts all the way to how do I really feel about my gender identity <laughs> like that's the width that's the the width of the potential here with uh, teacher gamers so it's really, really exciting. It, it, you know, that's my hats off to you as well, and to all, all teacher gamers. Everybody bringing, you know, what are their interests, 
um, into the class, figuring out whether it's you know a background in violin playing uh, or a love of astronomy or um, you know making I don't know ships in a bottle. I mean, yeah. all all these all these different kinds of things bring about an aspect that uh, that gives kids a reflection not only of themselves but also on their teachers. I, I think one of the key things is um, whether you're playing a you know really complicated role playing game or you're playing um, iterative tabletop games or battle. Uh, tactical games I mean the, when students see their teachers mm. enjoying themselves yeah 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 um, I find and I and I've experienced that uh, and actually I'll put that as a question to you I mean have you had do you feel like as a teacher gamer you're more approachable once you've been playing games with students in a games class, and then when you go back to your subject, which your subjects are generally history, math, math, math. yeah, middle school math. No, I mean I've I've actually created a role playing game for middle school math, and in short, it's your there's a complex way to build a character, but your character has stats. Hmm. Your stats come to you in fractions. So like maybe your power stat is one out of six, but if you do good on the quiz. Boom, I level you up. Now you're two out of six. However, in that game, you you're, you play the game on percentage dice. So the kid has to transfer, the kid has to do the division from two to six. They have to add any equipment bonuses they have, and they have to, and then they roll on a percent dice, not on a six-sided dice. Right. And anyway, this this game just kind of well, there's kids that would never ever play a game, but I kind of make everybody play it, and it actually is very popular, and it's just a new way to approach learning, you know. And so, if anybody out there has like that gaming concept of any, just do, just do it, just go it. Like you get an idea, do it. When I was teaching high school history. One of the things I couldn't stand was I, I don't like the French Revolution. I don't. I don't. It's just me. Okay. I know that there's people out there that get a lot of value from it, mm-hmm. but for me, I, I I was required to teach it, and it was something that I didn't really jive with. So I'm like, I'm gonna make that a game. I have to make it. Like I want to make it interesting for me, and when. You're, when yeah when the, and I did and I made it it was it, I made it into a card game it t- it took uh, two decks of regular playing cards that's the materials that you needed you needed two decks of playing cards and it was kind of like phase ten I think is that the game like like phase one you need four of a kind or something like whatever okay. like I made it so but like four of a kind meant um, four priests were on your side like I kind of made I made the cards represent stuff that happened in the French Revolution. Okay. Anyway, point of all this is it's pretty easy when you're passionate about games, if you can bring that into the classroom. Kids obviously recognize that you're having fun, you know, and they start to, that really draws their attention. And 
and you get kids you get kids fired up about it and maybe kids that aren't they've never played a game in their life they've never played a, they don't play board games they don't they don't role play but all of a sudden they are you know they're uh, uh, playing in the French Revolution and they're cutting people's heads off or whatever and they think it's hilarious I don't know what you know like yeah, yeah. you give you give a kid a role you give a kid a character right and they invest in it yeah. and you care about it and yeah of course everybody's a winner there the teacher's a winner um, kids are invested and then you get that that's the thing like how do you get 100% engagement give them a character Give them something to think about. Give them a world. And if you can find out ways to do that in your classroom, um, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be really enjoyable for you, the teacher. It's going to be worth the effort that it takes. And it's also going to be an experience that your students are not going to forget. You know, like, fast forward 20 years. What was middle school like? Well, what are they going to remember? They're going to remember that when they were 100% engaged or when they had had their character or whatever whatever it is, you know. Like that's it's super super important for teacher gamers to exist because we are we're, we I I really believe that we're anchors in the learning process. And there's so many things trying to pull kids out of the learning process. Great point. Right? Like TikTok, what if? <laughs> Good god. <laughs> what a disaster TikTok is, and no, no, I mean, it, no I suppose it can. Okay, sorry. TikTok can be f- very positive for certain people, but just as that, a distraction, that's is it can be very distracting. It can I be very. It can be super distracting. Sure. Um. Everything, every every and and so, when you get that hundred percent engagement, you're giving that kid an opportunity to enjoy growth and development. And grow, enjoy their own growth and development. So and that's really important. I just want to press you on that last point. I don't, I don't think that you were trying to avoid it, but uh, but um, I just want to ask that point. Do you feel, as a teacher gamer, because of the engagement you've had with your player learners, that then in your actual regular subject, or in the regular subject, or maybe in relation to their own learning or learning disability? Have you felt like a different kind of trust bond was established through the games that allowed somebody to come forward and tell you about a struggle or a difficult or a personal thing that they needed help with? This is a kind of I, theory that I have, and I, I want to ask that to teacher gamers. Yeah, so your, your theory is kind of like when you create the 100% bond with learning, when the, <clears throat> when the student knows that you're you know, engaged in their development... Mm that you're going to get instances of kids coming to you as asking real questions or things like yes yeah and so or, i or for I, help especially if they if they would have maybe otherwise been kind of nervous or never brought it up or right that or like oh say so like the games bring down the barriers yeah that's, yeah yeah thanks for helping me formulate sure that. so like i kind of i kind of get that uh i'm aware of colleagues that are not teacher gamers that are also able to bring down barriers, right? And so I feel like it's not the only method, but sure. definitely uh, it is a way to create special uh, relationship between student and teacher. That it's that it is mm-hmm. 
you know, like if you've if you've really explored, uh, you know, like within your within your realm, like yeah, I can totally see like a kid that has a personal problem wanting to know more from the person. You know, like if you present the divorce concept within the game mm. and the kid's going through that, yeah, that might really trigger some questions and stuff. And if, and you're the natural person to to go to. Now I haven't. Although I don't know that that's what I mean exactly, but okay. that could that could be. Yeah. I just mean more like if somebody. I mean, literally, it's happened to me where I feel like when I made the, like I didn't have necessarily the connection with the student, but then in another class where we played games, mm. there was a deeper hundred percent engagement. For example, then in another in an English class and something that was you know just purely grammar related, I found out that the student was dyslexic, where they're coming to me and saying, you know, I'm really not able to keep up with everybody else's reading. Yeah. And I'm afraid, I was, you know, I'm afraid, I'm afraid about that. And I'm afraid to tell you. And then, and, and me realizing, oh, well, look, you know, there's audiobooks. Do you know about audio? Well, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. Every book that I'm going to teach, I'm going to also make sure that you have it available for audiobook. And I've had some transformational things where I really know that prior to that moment, mm. the person was too nervous didn't want to tell me. I mean, I, I would have figured it out kind of later, but the actual ability for a, a student to feel comfortable enough to expose their weakness and trust that I would move forward to give them strength, yeah. I feel like it was related to the game playing where yeah. we talk about weaknesses and strengths and compensation and that adaptation. So I can... My experience does not include that. But what my gaming teacher gamer experience does include is and this is for sure kids feel that they have a crew so for kids that did not feel that they had a crew are accepted by the gamer crew and now they have a crew that's super awesome when that happens and the parents let me know right and another thing that is just that has like the long-term consequences of what I'm about to say are nearly immeasurable and and it and it doesn't have anything to do with like intentional uh, therapy issue role playing the simple fact of there is one thing that I like to go to school for I enjoy the after-school activity or I enjoy the class make play. And honestly, Zach, that is so important as an anchor for some kids where there's like, I know that if I show up to school, I'm doing make play today and I'm going to enjoy myself. And where they that can radically change the way a kid goes to school. Or perceives their whole per- life. Perceives, perceives themselves as a learner. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, I like school. I like something at school. And I have seen that. I've seen the... I've seen that change kids to become better learners just for the simple fact that the idea of going to school, there's that's kind of cool that I'm going to school to play some games. Like, I'm going to do make play today. i got after school activity today. i got my crew today. That's super awesome yeah. that that's that teacher gamers can provide that to certain kids. So 
Yeah. That's that's I think that's my main contribution to the teacher gamer uh, movement is just creating creating that space where kids are accepted and where it makes them want to show up to school. And it, and that because all of a sudden they might be sitting in math class without the stress, without the anxiety, and all of a sudden they start thinking about it differently. And they start engaging differently. And for sure, I mean, I'm not going to name the names, but me and you know some of the same kids. And some of those kids, because they got comfortable, they just started blossoming, blossoming uh, introspection, yeah. right? More comfortable with introspection, more comfortable with saying stuff out loud, yeah. right? Instead of being scared. How, how important is that? Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. So, so yeah, that, that, that definitely touches yeah. on that same thing. It's just, yeah, so you're right. So I was talking about something very explicit, and what you're talking about is it's explicit, but it's implicit in that we see the behavior of the student or the learner changing, where yeah. they were um, not as confident, they didn't feel as ready, uh, their approach to obstacles uh, was perhaps none or without strategy or struggle with peers struggle with peers Uh, yeah social social aspect um yeah (laughs) yeah we actually we could talk about that all day because i it really it's really true and i I like that i I really do love the fact that we have that overlap that you yeah i i have a lot of um for everybody listening for our listener assuming there might be more than one but but uh yeah there's there's a it, it is quite wonderful to hear them talk about, you know, what, because uh, that's just a, another last point. I mean, one of the things that I do here um, is that we play regular games. We play Skulls, Dixit, um, uh, Catan. Well, Catan is too long, um, mm. but maybe, but, but shorter things, uh, Deep Sea Adventure, um, Fake artist in New York, um, um, uh, I'm just trying to think about the things that we play. What was the game that you liked that I bought to game night, the one with the cats? That was pretty funny. I bought that. That's called Here Kitty Kitty, I think. <laughs> Here Kitty That's Kitty. a fantastic game. So, so all, you know, we I actually start by playing one of those games for the first half an hour. Yeah. Because some people arrive late, but also just as like, you know, strategy, collaboration, a different mechanic. Um, and then actually that little involvement of, uh, of an RPG um, element that are not in those games, which for example with the Here Kitty Kitty, right, even when I presented it the first time, it's like, who are you? You know, like, oh, I'm the old, the old cat lady in the, in the house and, yeah. and I'm blah, blah, blah. And, 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 you know, same thing with skulls, you know, who, who, who are you as a pirate and what's the name of your pirate ship? Or when you're Catan, when you arrive as a settler, what country did you come from? Yeah. You know, or, or, and what's the name of your family? And what does your family business do in your city? I mean, these things are not in the game, but just those little elements um, go a long way. Yeah, they do. And uh, it is really a joy to see that kids will play long-form role-playing, complex games where they return to uh, to this you know, long-term simulator lifestyle. And then they also love these other kinds of games where some of them are competitive, some of them are collaborative. Um, some of them, I mean, what's, what's the shortest, 
What's the shortest games you you play with them? You know, I don't. There are some games that are like super, super short intentionally, but I don't. I don't. Kings play of those. War is about how long? Kings of War maybe an hour and a half at the shortest, maybe two hours. Like it takes. Do you play them sometimes over two or three days? Yes. Like where some, you can take yes. a picture? Or yeah, I had a big room, so I like we could leave it set up and stuff. Um, but maybe maybe 35 minutes with Star Saga's ongoing? Star Saga, is, you can play Star Saga, you know, because there's different... Enga- there's like Scenario A, Scenario B. Okay. But um, Survive is a super popular game mm-hmm. where there's an island that's like collapsing right. on itself right, right. that maybe takes 40 minutes and super yeah. easy to pick up that's collaborative uh no that is a that is a screw your neighbor game oh it that, is yeah. what's the one that we what's the one that's that we, called forbidden island oh yeah forbidden yeah island. so forbidden island similar concept of a island like that's sinking you have to go collect all of the right. artifacts but survive is get your tribe off of the island okay and you might have to step over somebody else's tribe to get there so well, then the, that, that's so funny when you play those games, and because everybody was, everybody's willing to play, like Survivor, or a commercial board game. It's easy to understand, and then you, you just get these, you get hilarious moments of personality out of your kids, right? You get like the little quiet kid, and all of a sudden they're really animated, and they're upset, or they're. <laughs> screwing somebody over in the game. I just think that's so fun and funny. Yeah. And I don't even care if nothing is learned. Just the fact that kids are face-to-face interacting. Sure. The fact that uh, we're having fun at school. Yeah. I think I love it. Cool. So, I, yeah. And the, I guess another a fi- a thing that I want to say is that I'm... I, my game collection, my commercial board game collection is housed at school. I keep it at school locked up. I keep... A portion of my miniatures collection at school. I also have some paints and some brushes. I mean, these are not cheap things, and I kind of have a filter system of which kids I let, mm-hmm. you know, do the miniature painting. Like you kind of have to not just say, "Okay, I'm going to do that." Like there's a little bit of a training process there. Sure. But it's like my concept on my collection is, I didn't, I didn't buy it to look at it. Sure. I bought it to play. Sure. And and so I have been open to kids access accessing a, a really robust collection. You know, and so that's not possible for every for everybody. It's unique for the kids that get it. But um I would yeah, like if you have if you have stuff that you value personally and you can get to the point where you tr- trust kids with it and also don't mind if an arm breaks off, then bring it to school right. and use it right. and see where it goes. That's it. Well, that's it. And on that note, I want to thank you for coming out. Awesome conversation. Yeah, thanks. I really enjoy. Um, thanks so much for the support over the years. Also for the for the teacher gamer revolution, the whole concept, and um, I really appreciated your. Um, your critical ideas and, and ways of, you know, try to make it better and more accessible. These are really important to me because this is, this is not mine. This is ours. This is anybody who wants to get involved. And, uh, I think it's just as important as the, as the learner is the teacher gamer. I mean, and the more people that feel comfortable 
come out uh, and also engage with their other teacher gamers or their other teachers to see, you know, I mean, I can only say to anybody out there, just ask around. And, uh, and yep. just like the kid who's uh, maybe kind of a nerd or feels like they don't know who to connect with, it, it could be the same thing. Uh, but it also can be um, somebody else in your community uh, with an opportunity to bring, bring somebody else in to collaborate, a parent. You, you never know what actual yep. support is going to be out there. Yep. And then you find out. You actually realize, like, oh, you know, there's people who have been playing for years or... Or you can turn someone's interest in board games or even computer games into uh, uh, an engagement in the name of educating children. Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had like father and son bond over after school activities. I invite parents to the after school activity as well, and sometimes they take the, me up on that. And dad will come down and play, and I think it's fantastic. So, uh, unlimited unlimited potential. It's up to us as teacher gamers to go explore it. It's just like the it's just like the fantasy world. We're starting out in the village, and we don't know how far the horizon goes. It's awesome. Thanks. On that note, good uh, good day to all, and uh, see you again on the podcast. Thanks, Zach. Cheers. We hope you've enjoyed the Teacher Gamer Podcast, a Wild Mind Training production, text and production copyright 2021 and 22 by Wild Mind Training for Teacher Gamer Revolution. All rights reserved. <laughs>